Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Hey church, how we doing? Good, good to see you all. If you join us online, thanks for being here. Hey, uh, anybody going to watch football this afternoon? Any football? Yeah, a couple of you. Good. Get ready for the 49ers to win. Um, I'm wearing socks. I'm wearing my 49ers socks today. And so, uh, I mean, good luck. I wear them every Sunday, uh, except when they lose. So, okay. Um, and that's what we're talking about today. No, uh, I'm Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at uh, First Baptist, and we're glad that you're, you're with us. We're in week three of a, uh, a brand new series called The Creed, and we are taking a week-by-week look at our statement of faith uh, at, at FBH. So what are our non-negotiables? What are the things that we believe um, that, that really we aren't going to, going to flex on? And so if you're interested in, in seeing all of these and, and, and reading through them, we have them all on our website. If you were to go to our website, click I'm new here and then scroll down to what we believe and all of them are listed out right there. And so two weeks ago, we actually started this entire series by talking about uh, what it is that we believe about the Bible. And we had to start there because everything else that we are going to be talking about, last week we talked about the Trinity, this week we're talking about God, I mean, we're talking about Jesus, salvation, all of those different things. Everything else that we are going to be talking about is rooted from the Bible. And so if we can't start with a good working understanding of what it is that we believe about the Bible, then we may not as well even show up the next couple weeks uh, because that's where all of our information comes from. Everything is grounded in the Word of God. And so then last week, I did my best anyway to to shed some clarity uh, on the Trinity. I may have made things worse. I'm not sure. Eh? But we, we landed at a point um, where we need to recognize that, that at the end of the day, there is always going to be some mystery uh, that surrounds the, the Trinity. But also, the Trinity is the lens through which we need to view our salvation. We're kind of our two main uh, main takeaways. And so now this week, uh, my, my uh, doctrine professor would like me to tell you that we are studying theology proper is the way that it's called. It's actually just the study of God the Father, but that's how the fancy theologians like to say it for you, you note takers in there. And so what is it then that we believe about the Father? And so before we get into the actual definition um, of, of our statement of faith and that sort of thing, I want to tell you a story of about a friend of mine that I had when I was growing up. Um, and this friend, he was a couple years older than me, and he was my hero. Everything this guy did, everything he told me, the stories he told me, like everything he did, I wanted to be like him. I wanted to dress like him. I wanted to look like him. Like this was the coolest kid that I have ever encountered in my life. At least I thought so as, as a fourth grader, right? And so everything like th- this kid did, I wanted to, to, to be him. And I distinctly remember, though, a time when uh, my dad was driving the two of us to, to drop him back off. And as we were, we were driving him home, we passed the airport. And as we passed the airport, this story just, just he, he tells me this story, and my dad's in the car too, about this time that, man, as he was going home, he, he was at the airport, and, and I don't remember all of the details, but I do remember that it ended in this, him watching this airplane, like, do a bunch of flips and then crash into the ground, but it was okay because the pilot, he saw the pilot actually eject first, and like, like and so I'm thinking to myself, of course, this kid 
this cool kid, of course he's the one who saw this. Of course he, like if any of my friends were going to see this awesome, like epic story of this pilot ejecting out of his cockpit and, and, and this plane then crashing, like he, of course he was going to be the one to, uh, to, to see it. Well, long story short, we, we dropped my friend off at his house, and then my dad and I began to have a conversation about this same story that my friend just told. And so my dad was like, hey, did you, did you believe that story? I was like, yeah, of course I believe that story. Why wouldn't I believe that story? There's no reason not to believe my friend. He's the coolest guy that I know, obviously a trustworthy person. And he was like, well, I, I kind of have a hard time actually believing that story. And, and so my, my dad kind of like put this, this doubt in my head regarding, regarding the truth of this story. And so then I started thinking about all the other things, all the other stories that my friend told me. And, and then I started thinking about like every time he opened his mouth, I was doubting the things that he was saying. And, and rightfully so, because everything that he was saying was a complete and total fabrication. Right, but then I started, like I said, I started thinking back to like other, other stories. And so I was like, well, there's no way that one time that he found $1,000 on the ground, but then he couldn't prove it because he spent it all at Circle K. Like there's no way that, that could not be true, right? Like that had, that had to be, had to be real. And so from that point forward though, his credibility with me was completely and totally shattered, his character at that point was shot, and everything that we talked about after that, I took with a grain of salt because at the end of the day, I didn't feel like I could actually trust him, right? Character matters, specifically our character matters. Your character matters. Proverbs 10, 9 says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but who, he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Character is important. Your character is actually the lens that people see your decision-making, they see your attitude, they see your belief system through. Everything that you say, you do, that is perceived is through the lens of your character. Actually, people are, are more willing to listen to what it is you have to say when your character is strong and they can depend on what it is that you have to say. They take those things at face value. All right, maybe you've experienced this, this at work. We've all experienced these two different types of people at some point, right? Maybe you have a coworker or a boss who, who they, man, your boss or coworker, they have good, strong, sound, solid character. And they say something that you think to yourself, you know, I don't know. Like, I don't know, maybe it's like a project they want to take on or it's a story that they told you or something like that. You think, well, okay, well, yeah, I do indeed believe you because of who you are, because of your character. Right now, flip the script. You have somebody who doesn't have strong character. Maybe it's somebody who shows up late consistently or, or they have an excuse for every little thing that goes wrong or you simply feel like, man, of course, oh, of course it was that person again, right? And they say the same exact thing to you as, as the person with, with strong character. You're not gonna give them the benefit of the doubt. You're going to be like, no, I don't, you know what, I actually, I, I, I don't believe anything that you have to say. So character matters, and the same is actually true about God. This isn't, this isn't a, a, a sermon about your personal character. This is actually a sermon about, about the character of God and why the character of God is important. Because if we were to serve a God that has no moral fiber, 
If we were to serve someone whose character kind of ebbed and flowed with every single story that we heard, if we served a God who promised one thing and didn't deliver on his promise later on, we'd have a pretty difficult time serving that God, a God who is not steadfast, a God who is not unchanging. It's your other theological word for the, for the morning, that God is immutable. That means he does not change. And so the good news is, is we have a God who doesn't change, and that non-changing, is a, it is a good character. His character remains steadfast. So when it comes to our creed, it actually says this. It says, we believe that God the Father is the holy and loving creator of all things. Let me call time out. As I'm reading through this, look for the character of God in this. Look for the characteristics that describe him. Okay, so again, we believe that God the Father is the holy and loving creator of all things, unlimited in time, space, knowledge, and power. The Father has planned all that comes to pass. Although distinct from his creation, he is imminently at work in it. Because so there's, there's a lot of descriptors there. There's a lot of character, characteristics of, of God. And so while we're going to focus on his character, maybe part of his character that we need to understand are, are uh, his attributes is the way we call them. Okay, so when you're studying theology, theology proper, you're studying, the, 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 studying God, the Father, there's two types of attributes that we come across. The first type of attribute is, is called communicable attributes. Everybody say that to the person you came with. Say communicable. Say it. Yeah, fun to say, huh? Kind of just rolls off, the, rolls off the tongue. Communicable attributes. And so these are attributes that, that can be communicated to his creation. These are attributes that you and I can actually have, right? And so when it talks about, in our creed specifically, in our statement of faith regarding God, when it talks about the fact that God is love, right? He is a loving creator. Okay, the, the, the communicable attribute there is love. Because you and I are capable of love, though that love is imperfect, it's finite in nature because all of us are finite beings, we aren't God, that attribute still can be communicated because we are able to, to, we are able to love other people. And so there's a whole bunch of different, different communicable attributes. Think about even um, uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, right? Think back to the VeggieTales song if you can't remember what they are. But you're talking about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and all of the things that go on and on, right? Those are all communicable attributes, those are actually attributes of the Holy Spirit. Those are attributes of God. And so as we become more like God, those attributes, communicable attributes, should begin to take shape in our lives. Those are the communicable ones. Now we have the flip side of that, though. We have incommunicable attributes. Say that to the person you came with. Come on, say it. Not as many of you said it this time. Incommunicable. Okay, good. Incommunicable attributes. Those are attributes that are reserved for divinity alone. Those are attributes that are reserved only for God. And so when you're looking back at our statement of faith, when you're looking at, at our creed, you'll see a couple things that stick out. We, we see the fact that God is holy. Now, while we strive for holiness on this side of eternity, we're never going to get there, right? So we will never become holy. That word holy means set apart. And so we're never going to be set apart until we are with God in glory, okay? So, so God is holy. That's incommunicable. He is unlimited. That's incommunicable. And so even from our statement of faith, we see that God is omnipresent. Okay, God's everywhere all the time. So for those of you who are only like apologize when you cuss in church, but you don't cuss and you, you don't apologize when you cuss somewhere else, like God's there too. You know he doesn't live here, right? Like you're aware of that. 
Okay, so God is not only he's, he's, he's omnipresent, okay, God's also omniscient. He knows everything. He is all-knowing. And so his omnipresence, his, his omniscience, and of course his omnipotence, he is, he is all-powerful. He is the only creature, the only creature, the only being in the history of the world who is these things, even when you're thinking at it like a spiritual level, oftentimes we, we put Satan and God kind of close to each other, and we think, oh, you know, you wake up and you're like, oh, Satan's trying to get me this morning. I'm sorry, he's not. The enemy might be, but Satan probably doesn't care too much about you and I. Satan's probably spending his time working on people who are very, very, very influential. I don't care how important your mom says you are, okay? Satan isn't there. Satan is not here right now. At least I hope he's not. The enemy might be, okay, but Satan himself is not. And so these omnis are incommunicable. We cannot have these different attributes. And so it's important for us to understand. It's important for us to understand that how great it is to serve a God that has both types of these attributes. That means that we have a very personal God. We have a God and these communicable attributes that we can relate to. We have a God who, who we understand what love is because we are capable of love. We understand what justice is because we are capable of justice. Okay? We understand what joy is because we are capable of joy after we have our coffee, right? Like all of those things are good, important things. They're communicable. It allows us to relate to God. But also, we have a God that we are never going to be equal to. And that's the nice thing about these incommunicable attributes as well. I never personally, and maybe you're different, I never want to serve a God that I'm going to be equal to, ever. I want to recognize that my God is at some point bigger than me. My God is more powerful than me. He knows more than I do. He is everywhere, right? He is all powerful. All of those things, that's the God I want to serve, and that's the God I get to serve. And so at some point, while God is personal, he also is above me. He is, also, he, he, he is also more powerful than me. He is all of those different things. So both of those attributes are important. And, and beyond just the attributes, we need to, we need to take a deeper look at, at his character specifically. So then what is it that defines someone's character? Like any normal person, most likely the character of a person is shaped by their reputation. It is shaped by the decisions that we see them make over and over and over and over again, right? And so as you're reading through the stories in the Old Testament, as you're, as you're, as you're reading through the stories in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospels, as you're, as you're looking at Paul's writings towards the end of the New Testament, all of those different things actually reveal the character of God. That is his reputation being established over and over and over and over again. And so, so here's why this is important. And for you note takers, this is the note for the morning that you want to write down. Where the Bible is silent about something, specifically something maybe that's, that's important to us, we have to rely on God's character to fill in the blanks. We have to rely on God's reputation to fill in the blanks. So, so if you can better understand the character of God, I can better navigate the complexities and hardships of the world around me. Let me, give you, let me give you an example, and it's a hard example. When Sarah and I lived in Apple Valley, we were in a small group, okay? And, and in that small group, we, uh, we became friends with, with two, I mean, two of our, our closest friends at the time, and uh, they were just baby Christians. 
They had just come to faith and, you know, before they were, they were living together, but they weren't married. And so then they got married and, and man, just their trajectory took off. It was incredible to be able to see how God moved and worked in their lives. And so they, they had, a, I think it was two kids at that point, and um, they were pregnant with a third. And we were so, so excited. We, we threw a, like a little party for them and, and were celebrating and all of that stuff. And then um, uh, Sarah got a, a, a phone call from the woman, and they had just found out that she had miscarried about halfway through um, their pregnancy. And so they asked me to come over and, and to pray with them because I was in their small group, but it's also their, their pastor, and uh, because the next day they were going to the hospital and she was going to have to deliver her stillborn baby. Probably one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do as a pastor is go over there and pray with them. And I'm like, what do you pray at that point? Like, they don't, they don't, I mean, there's classes on, on how to, like, relate to people and, you know, how to, how to counsel people. But how, like, in, in just, like, our brokenness, and just, how do you pray to God about something like that? And so we sat and we, we prayed and we cried and we talked. And then after we were, we were done praying, as she is still a, a baby Christian at this point, and she was like, hey, Peter, do, 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 is my baby going to go to heaven? Is my baby going to be in heaven? She wanted to know, as a grieving mother, if she was going to one day be able to be with her baby. And here's the biblical answer. You want to know the biblical answer? We don't know. Everybody feel comforted by that? Everybody feel good about that? No, that's, that's hard. And so as I'm sitting there across from her, as she is crying, as she still has uh, her, you know, her, her infant child inside of her, whose heart is no longer beating, like there is no comfort in that. The, the only evidence we have from Scripture, because this is, a, this is a, a question we get oftentimes, is do we believe that, that babies go to heaven? Like, how is it that I sit there and explain to this mom and dad in the middle of their grief that we aren't sure where their baby is going to end up? And that's hard for us. It's hard for us as people who look at the Bible for our answers, who we say, hey, what, like, what does the Bible say about this? And largely, Scripture is silent about it. There's, there's one instance, and we hang all of our theology on this one line in the Bible. It's in 2 Samuel 12, verses 22 and 23. You guys remember that story of David and Bathsheba where David got in trouble because he saw Bathsheba, he got Bathsheba pregnant, and then husband died, like all of those different things. So now David and Bathsheba are married. Bathsheba actually has a baby, but the baby's very, very, very sick. And so David spends a ton of time weeping and, and mourning and crying and fasting and praying and doing all of the things that he's supposed to be doing. But regardless of what it is he does, God decides to take the baby. And so the baby dies. And this is what it says in 2 Samuel 12, 22 to 23. It says, he answered, this is David. While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. And I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But, but now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. Did you catch it? I will go to him. That's our entire theology regarding where babies end up. That's it. 
And so as we're sitting there and trying to figure out, like, like how is it that I as a pastor, my job is to love people and, and, and care for people. And, and in this instance, this mom, like her baby had died. And there is nowhere in scripture where it explicitly states that when a baby dies, they are going to heaven. That's problematic for us as Christians who believe what the Bible says. So what am I supposed to say to my friends in my small group? Again, when the Bible is silent on issues that we are walking through, we have to count on the character of God to get us through. So many of you here, as I'm sitting here building this case of we don't know, you feel that anxiety inside of you right now? Many of you who've who've been Christians for a really, really long time, and you think, hold on, like, hold on. No, yeah, of course we believe that babies go to heaven. And let me be clear, my official stance is I believe babies go to heaven. But as you're feeling that anxiety and like that angst and like, like, like how, how can the Bible not be clear about this? Like I know for a fact that, that, that I know a lot of you in here have struggled with the same thing, that, that you have had miscarriages and had, have, have had that difficulty. And maybe you're, like, you're in the same spot of like, the Bible doesn't say anything about it. And us in our heart of heart knows that babies go to heaven, but it's not backed up by scripture. You know that, that babies who unfortunately lose their lives go to heaven. But the reason you know is not because of scripture. The reason you know is because you are leaning on the character of God. And you recognize that God's character is good. That God's character is is loving. So because I know that God is just and, and God is love and God does all things for the good of those who love him, I lean on his character to unashamedly say, yes, I believe your baby is in heaven because I serve a God who I believe is all of the things that I just stated. That's what we believe. So again, If you can better understand the character of God, I can better navigate the complexities and hardships of the world around me. That's why the character of God is important. And so this message, it falls woefully short of explaining all of the complexities of who God is. But because beyond his character, like God is the architect of the world. So as we look around at the beauty that he designed for us, at least kind of, I mean, There's fog today, so you can't see much of the beauty. But if the fog wasn't there, then the smog would still be here. We still wouldn't be able to see his his beauty. But like an hour after it rains, we can see God's beauty, right? But even this morning, Mike Watkins, he comes and prays for me before uh, every Sunday message. And he said, said, God, thank you for the fog. Because if it wasn't for the fog, we wouldn't have the coastal redwoods. It's like, that's the perspective I need today. And so, so we recognize that, that God, this architect, this creator, he, he clearly values beauty. He clearly values diversity. And so like that's a God that, that I want to serve. And so beyond his character, we, we also don't believe that, that he is a created being. But we do believe that he is innately involved in, in the lives of those he created. So every single one of us, he is personal and he is interested in a, real, in a relationship with all of us. And again, beyond his character, he is sovereign. He's over everything, and it knows exactly what is going to come to pass, both in this world and your life specifically. 
Romans 8.28 actually says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Every time we see God move or act, we, we recognize that he is continuing to build a case for his character. Every single time. So every single story that you read in the Old Testament, he is building a case for the consistency of his character. And as we continue to follow God, as we continue to move forward in our relationship with him, we need to remember that our character should be consistently moving towards God's. Well, but, well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven because when I was eight years old, I went to VBS and I prayed a prayer. And that's kind of the end of it, so I'm not going to do my best to be like God anymore. That's not what Scripture tells us. Actually, in Ephesians 4, to 24, it says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and true, and true righteousness and holiness. Our job is for, for our character to continually become more like God's. To every single day, even as I pray like the ABCs at the end of every single one of our messages, I'll do it again, that choose to follow God peace means we are supposed to wake up and every single day choose to be more like God over and over and over again. And it's not so we can be God. There's plenty of religions out there that, that allow you to, to earn Godhood or whatever. Let me be absolutely clear. None of you in here will ever become God. Regardless of how hard you try, none of you are going to be God. So try as hard as you possibly can to prove me wrong, okay? Because at least that way you'll all be more holy. But none of us are ever going to be a God. And that, that's a lie from, from Satan. It's like his oldest temptation. He promised Adam and Eve that back in Genesis 3, 5 when he said, hey, all of you could be as gods, as King James Version says it. And this desire to be God, man, it shows up every time we try to control our circumstances, our future, try to control people around us. But, but as creatures, we will never be the creator God doesn't want you to become God. God wants you to become more godly. He wants our character to reflect his character, taking on his values, his attitudes, his character. We are meant to put off the old self, again, which is being, being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to put on the new self, created to be like God. So God's ultimate goal for your life on earth is not comfort, it's character development. He wants you to grow up spiritually and become like Christ. After salvation, he wants you to become like Christ. And becoming like Christ doesn't mean like losing your personality or becoming some mindless clone or anything like that. Like God created your uniqueness. So he certainly doesn't want to destroy your uniqueness, like Christ-likeness is all about transforming your character, not your personality. And so God wants, man, he wants you to develop the kind of character described in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 as Jesus is talking. You want to know what your character should look like? Flip to Matthew chapter 5. Read about it there. He wants your character to look like the, the fruit of the Spirit, 
He wants your character to look like 1 Corinthians 13, where we always talk about it in the sense of a wedding, but he's just talking about a bunch of people who can't get along. That love is patient, love is kind. He's not talking about your wife. He's talking about just people. And God wants our, our character for us to, to live effective and productive lives, as it talks about in 2 Peter 1. All of these things about God that we know should, should shape who it is that we are becoming. And then if all of that doesn't sway you, if all that character of God stuff doesn't sway you, then we need to take a second and remember the greatest thing that God ever did for humanity. So regardless of our lack of character, regardless of our sin, regardless of our own stupidity, regardless of the fact that we are very much imperfect people, God sent his son to die on a cross for every single one of us. It's the single greatest thing God ever did for humanity. He sent his son, divine royalty, part of the Trinity, and traded perfection for imperfection. Because he loves you. And so it doesn't matter how far gone you are. It doesn't matter what it is that you've done. It doesn't matter the poor decision you made last night or last week or 10 years ago. The character of God is a character of one who forgives. We see it over and over and over again in Scripture. Look how many chances the Israelites got. Give me a break. So God is a God who forgives, and he puts it on full display for all of us to see throughout Scripture. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says this. It says, for grace you have been saved through faith. That's good. But listen to who it comes from. It says that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. He also says it again in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He said, for he made him, he made him, God made Jesus. Don't get confused about that. But God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. God sent his son. It was God who sent his son for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's the God that we serve. That's the character of the God that we serve. So beyond his power, beyond his ability to create beauty, beyond his, his word to us, beyond his mystery, we get to revel in his character and do our best to emulate it. That's our God. Just imagine, if, like, like what would the church look like if the church was marked with the character of God? If, if the church looked like God's character, instead of looked like the character of political pundits or, or, or politicians or political parties, like imagine if the church was marked with the character of God rather than the character of the world. And people would be so confused, they would have no clue what to do. That we would have, have a church that, that loves people who don't deserve to be loved that doesn't judge people who, who don't know God, but actually only raises the bar for the people who are already in the family. And that's the Bible. The Bible doesn't say don't judge people. The Bible actually says, yeah, judge people. Judge the people who are in the family of God. Make sure you hold them to account. And everybody else, love them well. That's what the Bible says. 
What if the church was marked by that instead of us flipping it on its head and giving everybody in here a pass and judging everybody else out there? That's what the church should look like, a church that's humble and not arrogant, even when we're right. A church that's more concerned with walking with people than proving ourselves correct. I'm not just talking about FBH. I'm talking about the capital C church. I'm talking about, about churches across the world who all of us have this problem of sin. Like, like sin isn't unique to Hanford, California. It doesn't just sit here like the fog does. It's a global issue. And so we need to continue to do our best to move towards God every single day. So that people who are not a part of our church, people who have no context for who God is, who don't yet know the love of Jesus, man, they can land here and be like, you know what, man, that, like, that's the God that I want to serve. That's the character of the God that I want to serve. And so beyond just representing God's character well, let's talk about you for a second and the difficulty that you walk through. My guess is your current stress is probably not written about in the Bible. I mean, maybe the root causes of it are, but your specific situation, yeah, my guess is Paul left that out of his letter to the, to the church in Corinth. And so where, where the Bible is silent about things that are going on in your life, you get to rely on God's character. You get to rely on recognizing that God is good and he is loving and he is forgiving and he is faithful and he is all of those things that we tend to miss out on. Church, it's our responsibility to continue to emulate the character of God so the world can be impacted and so that you, as you're living your lives as the believer, can continue to become more and more holy every single day. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, just thank you for who you are. And God, I just, I want to sit in that for just a second. And I know that's how I start all of my prayers. Father, thank you for who you are. But church, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, let's just sit in that and thank God for just a second for who he is. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for your attributes that are both communicable and incommunicable. The ones that we get to have on display in our lives. And granted, I know we distort them, Father, but God, thank you for the ability to love. Thank you for the ability to have joy and peace and patience and all of those different things. That your character shows us what they are. So thank you for that. And God, just right now, as, as we're sitting here and, and, and every single one of us, our character is, is falling short of yours in some place. And so God, just, just allow your spirit to speak to our hearts right now about where it is that our character does not match yours. So maybe it's the ability to, to love well. Maybe that's you this morning. 
Maybe it's the ability to, to be joyful. You just find yourself stomping around, trying to figure out the next person to yell at. Maybe it's joy you need. Maybe it's patience with that frustrating coworker, with your spouse, with your kids. Wherever that may be this morning, and all of us have work to do, and just commit this week to emulate God's character. Get in his word, establish that relationship with him. And if you haven't yet done that, you can do it right now as we, we, we end our services the same way, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed. If you want to enter into a relationship with God and make that profession of faith this morning, just pray along with me. Say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I know that my character is flawed. I know that I am sinful. I admit that, Father. But B, I believe you sent your Son to die on a cross for all of us. That you traded perfection for imperfection so we could spend eternity with you as he conquered death and see that we would choose to follow you every single day. That our character would look as close to yours as we possibly can get it to as you continue to renew us, as your spirit continues to renew us. So we love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.